Thanks for joining us for our SciFarth Shaw podcast, COVID-19 Vaccine, a third fireside chat with Dr. Newt Mehta. I'm Scott Hecker, Senior Counsel with SciFarth in DC. I'm in the Labor and Employment Group with a focus on workplace safety, wage hour, and government relations and policy. Before joining SciFarth, I spent about 12 years at the U.S. Department of Labor, the last approximately five of which as a member of the Occupational Safety and Health Division of the Solicitor's Office, where I represented OSHA. I'm honored to once again have my good friend, Dr. Newt Mehta, back for yet another conversation. Newt has his MD, MPH from Harvard. He's been a business consultant and a healthcare exec. He's a practicing hospital doctor and works with state and local governments through Partners in Health on COVID-19 response. Thanks for coming back to complete the trilogy, Newt. Oh, thanks for having me again. During our previous podcast, you and I talked about how COVID-19 has impacted the provision of healthcare, as well as testing, tracing, and supported isolating quarantining. Now, as of late December 2020, we have two vaccines deployed under emergency use authorizations, EUAs, from the FDA to further combat the coronavirus pandemic. The firm's been getting a lot of questions about the use of these vaccines, and we've published, published some thought pieces, including top 10 considerations for employers when it comes to potential COVID-19 vaccine programs, and also required read for all employers. The EEOC issues guidance on the interplay of workplace bias laws and COVID-19 vaccinations. So a big issue for our clients and listeners is whether employers can and should mandate that their employees receive the vaccine. With its December 16 guidance, the EEOC indicated all employers can require mandatory vaccines as long as employers allow employees to receive the vaccine from a third party that does not have a contract with the employer and the employer follows accommodation requirements under the ADA and Title VII. If an employer or a contractor of the employer administers the vaccine, the employer must show that any pre-screening questions pre-screening questions associated with vaccination are job-related and consistent with business necessity. And this would require an employer to show that an employee who refuses to answer pre-screening questions and therefore can't receive the vaccine would pose a direct threat to health or safety of individuals in the workplace. This can be a difficult analysis that employers may want to avoid. Historically, OSHA has also hasn't mandated employee vaccinations, but has indicated that employers can do so. The closest OSHA has probably come to requiring vaccination is its bloodborne pathogen standard, which directs employers to offer the hepatitis B vaccine to employees under certain conditions. Employees can decline vaccination using the declination form included in Appendix A of the standard. And actually that form doesn't include specific reasoning for turning down the opportunity to be vaccinated. As we've noted before, with the response to COVID, states are always in the mix, and there may be additional or competing state vaccination requirements employers should be aware of. To help navigate all that relevant guidance, please contact your SIFARTH attorney with any questions. So, Newt, we've laid that groundwork. We appreciate the importance of vaccinations generally. What's unique about the COVID-19 vaccine and its development? Well, Scott, these first two uh, mRNA vaccines from Pfizer and Moderna are really a scientific breakthrough. Um, we just go back in time to January uh, of this year. Uh, that was when the virus was first uh, sequenced. Um, and this is by far the fastest development um, and uh, emergency use authorization for a vaccine um, in our history. And it really represents 
you know, scientific milestone. Um, you know, what's unique about these viruses, uh, these vaccines is that no, no mRNA vaccine has ever been uh, deployed and used, um, you know, broadly. So this, this is really the first time we've, we've seen these vaccines or even this type of vaccine used, uh, you know, uh, in the United States or, or in the world. Um, it's been on an incredibly fast timeline. Uh, clinical trials uh, generally take several years, um, but th those were uh, through Operation Warp Speed have, have been, uh, you know, moved ahead. Obviously, the Pfizer uh, did not participate, Pfizer did not participate in Operation Warp Speed, but, you know, it's part of that same uh, general process. Um, so, you know, these are just tremendous. And I think, you know, your listeners will all know that the efficacy data and the safety data from these vaccines has been really, really encouraging uh, upwards of 90% uh, reduction in um, serious illness. So, you know, these are, these are incredible vaccines. And, and what about the deployment of the vaccine? What have you seen in that space? You know, what are you expecting? You know, this has been probably the biggest challenge. And, and part of it, you know, these vaccines, as you know, require significant cold storage and cold chain. Uh, in addition to that, once, they, once they're thawed, they have to be delivered pretty quickly. And so, well, under the auspices of a clinical trial, that deployment, um, you know, is very tightly monitored and they have staff to be able to do this um, pretty seamlessly. Uh, in the real world, uh, deploying uh, the vaccine and getting into the arms of people uh, when, when the vaccines are relatively fragile like they are uh, has been a really you know, big challenge. And so, uh, unfortunately, in the initial rollout, we've seen a little bit less than expected uh, numbers, but I expect those to, to catch up pretty quickly. Um, yeah, speaking to that, what, what does that do for, like, the concept of herd immunity and, and you know, where what are you looking at when it comes to how many people need to get this for it to really prove efficacious? Yeah, one of the encouraging elements of this is that because the vaccines are so effective, the number of people required to be vaccinated in order to, to achieve herd immunity is lower. So, um, you know, if you think about it, uh, if the vaccine is really potent, every time it hits somebody who's vaccinated, the, the propagation stops. So, uh, as uh, efficacy increases of a vaccine, the number, the proportion of the population that needs to be vaccinated goes down. Uh, take that in contrast to the flu vaccine, which has relatively lower efficacy in order to achieve uh, you know, uh, herd immunity. For the flu vaccine, you really have to, to vaccinate uh, quite a bit more people. Now, we don't really know uh, what proportion of the population needs to be vaccinated uh, for to achieve herd immunity, but I'm hoping it's uh, you know, in the 60 to 70 percent range. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about it sort of compared with, with the flu and how, how widely spread it needed to be. Uh, one other thing I was thinking as you were talking about deployment is folks who, employers who maybe had on-site vaccination programs or have them for the flu, given the cold storage limitations, you know, may not be able to do that same thing. And you also talked about the logistics of timing, you know, once you saw Pfizer, for example, example, you have, I think, five or six hours to actually administer it. So you're looking at very legit, you know, logistical hurdles that, that would have to be gotten over. That's right. Yeah. You know, the, the idea of a flu, flu vaccination drive or a clinic uh, at, at an employer where people can just walk in on their breaks 
um, is just not going to be the same model as, as with these uh, early vaccines with Pfizer and Moderna. And I think the other important consideration is that this is a two-dose vaccine. So uh, not only do you have to, to schedule them for this first uh, dose, but then you have to make sure that they come back within a very, within a very specific window of three to four weeks to get their second dose uh, to ensure that they're achieving the full immunity. Right. Yeah. And I mean, I think that goes a bit to sort of beyond logistics, also the buy-in piece, obviously, you know, I, I've seen on, on your Instagram page that you, you know, proudly flex post shot. So I know you have personally gotten the vaccine. Uh, we recommended in our uh, top 10 consideration thought piece that I mentioned earlier that business leaders should literally roll up their sleeves and, and sort of publicly do that. Uh, Vice President Pence did something similar. Um, so that's all sort of demonstrating the buy-in, um, obviously education, you know, edu educating people about the safety and the efficacy is, is hugely important. What do you do, since we need sort of certain levels to achieve that herd immunity that we're talking about, what do you do, particularly, you know, in the healthcare industry with folks who don't want to be vaccinated, whether it's because of the disability or religious objection or just simply because they're just not on board with vaccination? Yeah, you know, a few months ago, uh, several studies were done asking healthcare workers specifically, especially in, in some urban areas, you know, what would they be willing to get the vaccine if it were to come out tomorrow? And, you know, there are some pretty shocking results from some of those surveys, you know, upwards of 70, 80% of people said that they would not get the vaccine. I think the the encouraging news out of this early rollout is actually people are, are you know, lining up. And I, I was, you know, very lucky to be one of the first people, uh, you know, in my hospital to get vaccinated. And, you know, I'll be honest with you, Scott, I was sort of skeptical about whether or not I would get a vaccine a few months ago. But my thoughts, uh, you know, have really significantly shifted in that regard. And I think that's true of, of many of my colleagues as well. And part of that has to do with the fact that we're just seeing so many people um, not only dying of COVID, but also suffering significant long-term morbidity from the disease. And so I think that has really uh, made people think about the, you know, about getting the vaccine and also the data has been just so compelling. Um, and, and as more data comes out about the safety of this vaccine, as well as the efficacy, uh, I think it's really making people, you know, want to get the vaccine. You know, in terms of developing buy-in, you know, I think, you know, a little bit of this is, as you sort of mentioned, it's a little bit of, uh, you know, walking the walk and, and um, showing that it's safe uh, just by people, you know, that you know have, have gotten it. Uh, but I think the other big thing that really has to be coupled with this is, you know, an extensive national, state, local, uh, even at the uh, micro level at a, a specific office or an employer level communications campaign to, uh, you know, remind people about how important this is, remind people about um, how this not only protects you, but it protects your family, it protects your loved ones, it allows us to reopen safely. I mean, there's just so many reasons why uh, getting this vaccine uh, is critical, but having a clear and concise message around that is really important. And the one thing I'm super interested in making sure that we do a good job of is is getting to, to vulnerable communities. Um, uh, you know, we know that, that specific uh, underserved communities, uh, rural communities, um, historically marginalized uh, populations have been disproportionately affected by, by this disease. And so uh, making sure that, that we are, are targeting those folks for uh, to get their buy-in um, and designing programs specifically for, for uh, those specific communities, I think is going to be really critical. Yeah, and I know that ties into your work 
sort of in the, the supported isolating and quarantining, making sure people are appropriately supported so that they can handle those those quarantines and those isolation periods. Similarly, yes, I mean, to, to sort of get that herd immunity out there, these, these communities have been so like disproportionately impacted, hugely important to get to get the vaccine out there uh, and to educate everyone about about its importance. Yeah, everyone should check out our last podcast. That's right. This is it's weird synergistic tie in there. I don't know how I did that. <laughs> Um, but I'm, for the next one, I'm happy to have you um, vaccinate me. Uh, we can, you know, record it and, and go from there. Absolutely. Yeah, happy to. All right. Well, I, I always appreciate these conversations, Noop. As I've said before, I think we'd be having them uh, anyway, and I'm, I'm glad that SciFarth lets us record them and, and get this stuff out there to our listeners. Thanks to you and to everyone else uh, for joining today. Again, if you have questions, uh, want to follow up uh, on, on some of this guidance that's out there, please reach out to your, your friendly neighborhood SciFarth attorney. Thank you very much. Thanks, Pat.